Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. A saying that the Jewish people should speak when they come before God. They should identify themselves to God with this saying in Deuteronomy 26.5 where Moses said to them, but thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, this is their, their introduction to God. A Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became a nation great, mighty, and populous. Now, the same is true for us. We came out of the world. That's our Syria. But just as Jacob made a total break with Laban, never to return again, so the Lord wants us to make a total break with the world that we came out of and therefore, we have 2 Corinthians 6.17, 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separated, be separated, be sealed off, be isolated from, be never to return again. Be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. But there's something else that's very significant at this last meeting between Laban and Jacob, not to be overlooked. And the way you see this is you take certain verses, like puzzle pieces, and you put them together, and when you do, then you go, ah, I can see. Right? So that's what we're going to do. So the first verse is in Genesis 31, 36. Genesis 31, 36. This is the first piece of the puzzle where it says, and Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. Jacob answered, and said to Laban, what's my trespass? What's my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? How would you describe Jacob from verse 36? Give me some words. He is very angry. He is very angry. He is bitter. He is blazing angry. Remember? The word is hot. It was blazing. He's boiling. He's at the boiling point. He's boiling over. And he tells Laban why, with very solid points, indisputable, at least from Jacob's point of view, that why he's so angry with him in the next six verses. The next six verses after verse 36, is there any evidence here that Jacob is forgiving Laban when you read verses 30, the next six verses here? Not at all. He's blasting Laban. He's not forgiving Laban. He's blasting Laban. Okay, that's the first piece in the puzzle, is verse 36. Now, the second piece of the puzzle that you have to see are the last two verses that we just read in, verse, in, in chapter 31. Jacob offers the sacrifice, 54 and 55. 
upon the mount. He calls his brethren to eat bread. They eat bread. They tarry all night. Early in the morning, Laban kisses everybody, and then they go home and blesses them, and he goes home departs. So in verses 54 and 55, is Jacob still angry with Laban and bitter at him? No, you know, it's not blasting him here. He's eating with them. He's, you know, they're, they're kissing and everything, you know. He's offering sacrifice. And, and there's no longer this bitterness at Laban. Jacob is no longer bitter at Laban. Jacob is no longer angry with Laban. Jacob has fully forgiven Laban. See, in the last meeting here with Laban, we see a Jacob, he's fully forgiven Laban. He's no longer bitter. He's no longer blasting. He's no longer angry. He agreed Jacob agreed to forget the wrongs that Laban did to him. Now, he put the last piece of the puzzle together, which is Genesis 32.1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. The angels of God met Jacob. So when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together, it looks like this. Genesis 31.36, Jacob is wroth and chode with Laban, so forth. Genesis 31, 54 through 55, then Jacob offers sacrifice, calls his brethren to eat bread. They eat bread, tarry all night. Early in the morning, Laban raises up, raises up kisses, blesses, leaves. Genesis 32, 1, Jacob goes on his way, and the angels of God meet him. Now, this is a very meaningful picture, because Jacob, who was angry and bitter at Laban, and had every right to be, Jacob, who fully forgave Laban and agreed to never remember the wrong that Laban did to him. And by the way, for the rest of this book, Jacob never mentions any wrong that was done to him by Laban. It's forgotten. And then when we come to chapter 32, now Jacob is meeting the angels of God. It's very important to see these angels of God that meet him come after he forgives Laban. Jacob would not go on with God unless he forgave Laban. Jacob's whole spiritual future depended on Jacob fully forgiving Laban and forgetting all that Laban had done to him. It's very interesting to see this last meeting, though, between Laban and Jacob, really to understand what Jacob did when he forgave Laban. Something very interesting to see and to show us. And we can see this in verse 51, Genesis 31, verse 51. Genesis 31, 51 reads, And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. Now notice, Laban has just said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. Is that right? Is that right? Is that really correct? Is that correct, what Laban said in verse 51? Is what Laban said, does that square with reality? Is what Laban said, does that square with the account of what happened in verse 45 and 46? What does it say? Jacob took the stone and set up the pillar. Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. They took stones and made a heap. See? Laban has said, behold this heap and this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. Did Laban set up that stone for a pillar? He says he did in verse 51. Did Laban pile those stones into a heap? He says he did in verse 51. 
is another one of Laban's lies. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine Jacob standing there who's out of breath from dragging the big pillar and setting it up, from helping his sons gather all the stones? Can you imagine his sons out of breath from gathering all the stones? And there stands Laban. He's not out of breath. He hasn't done anything. (laughs) He hasn't lifted his little finger to set up that pillar or that heap of stones. And with Jacob out of breath, Laban announces to Jacob in verse 51, I just set up that pillar and and a pile of stones there. I mean, can't you just see Jacob stopping and just staring at Laban and saying to himself, Laban really believes that he just set up this pillar and piled these stones into this heap. This is Laban's reality, okay? You leave reality, you go into Wonderland when you're with Laban. And Laban, can't you imagine this? Jacob, is he's, he's just astonished. Once again, here we go again. Here's Laban's total disrespect for Jacob. Laban is claiming as his own everything that Jacob has done. Here's the old Laban. He's back. He saw what Jacob did. He claimed it as his own. And can't you just imagine Jacob, and he's saying to himself, that's why I left Laban. This is why I left. Because for 20 years, Laban has claimed that everything that I have done, he's claimed it is his own work. Everything that I have, he claims is his own property. I mean, can't you just see Jacob standing there astounded and thinking to himself from what Laban said? In verse 43, Genesis 31, 43, Genesis 31, 43, Laban answered and said unto Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These cattle are my cattle. All that thou seest is mine. And can't you just see Jacob saying to himself, Laban is saying these daughters are are his daughters. Is that right? Are Rachel and Leah really his? Didn't I pay for Rachel and Leah with 14 years of my hard labor? But Laban sees Leah and Rachel as his. Laban is saying, these children are my children. Is that right? Are my children really his children? Aren't these children my children I had with my wives? Haven't I raised them? Haven't I fed them? But he sees them as his children. Laban is saying, these cattle are my cattle. Is that right? Didn't I pay Laban for that cattle with six years of my labor? But Laban says that my cattle is his cattle. Laban is saying, all that thou seest is mine. Is that right? Do I have nothing? And Laban has everything. But Laban says that it all belongs to him and I have nothing. And as Laban stands there and states all these crazy, cruel, disrespectful, selfish lies, Jacob realizes Laban hasn't changed a bit. Jacob does not hear one word of apology from Laban. And Jacob realizes that this is the same old Laban. And he realizes that Jacob has not changed. This shows exactly what Jacob did. Jacob did not forgive a changed Laban. Jacob forgave the same old Laban. Jacob forgave the Laban who didn't change. Jacob forgave the Laban who would do to Jacob exactly the same wrongs and more if he could. Jacob did not say, well, when Laban apologizes, then I'll forgive him. Jacob did not say, 
When Laban changes, then I'll forgive him. Jacob forgave the same old Laban who was not at all apologetic for anything he had done to Jacob. Jacob has made a decision to forgive and forget all that Laban did to him, even though Laban has not shown any regret or repentance at all. Same old Laban, and Jacob forgives him. How important was that for Jacob to do that, to forgive Laban and forget you know, what Laban did to him. Maybe, you know, Jacob probably said, you know, just get this guy out of my hair. I don't want to see him again. You know, let's, you know, let's not have it. How important was it for Jacob to forgive Laban? It was essential. It was essential for Jacob because Jacob's whole spiritual future depended on Jacob forgiving the same old, unchanged, bold, arrogant, unapologetic, selfish Laban. And if Jacob had said, Well, Laban has to say he's sorry before I forgive him. Then Jacob would go nowhere with God. That's what made it so hard for Jacob to forgive Laban because Laban, he didn't change and he wasn't wasn't saying there was anything wrong with what he'd done. Why is it so hard for us to forgive some people? Because they haven't changed and they see nothing wrong with what they've done to us. So this is important to see. At the end of chapter 31, Jacob is going to leave Laban And there were two ways that Jacob could have left Laban. Jacob could have left Laban without forgiving him, without forgetting all he did. So there'll be no meal, there'll be no pillar, we'll never see each other again, and we'll go our way. He would have gone nowhere with God. Jacob would have gone nowhere with God. The other way, which he did, totally forgive Laban, forget. And now Jacob opens the door for the angels of God to meet him. And that's what happened. And the same is true for us. There are people in our past who have deeply offended us, and they've stayed the same. They've not changed. If anything, they've become worse, like Laban. You just should really, just right now, just sort of take a moment and think about that and ask yourself the question, is there anyone that I have not totally forgiven and forgotten what they did? Is there a Laban in my life? Someone in the life who has wronged and then We say, well, I'll forgive when they change. No. Realize it makes no sense to try to go on with God until we've done what Jacob's done at the end of chapter 31, which is forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. Now's the time. Resolve. Have a meal with that person. Talk friendship like Jacob did. Show you've forgiven, forgotten. Now, when Jacob forgave, it was for Jacob's benefit. When we forgive, it's for our benefit, as to go on with God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if you don't do that, full stop, you're going nowhere. Express that in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest, ah, remember, that thy brother hath ought against thee. It's not what you have against him. Leave there thy gift before the altar, full stop. You're not going anywhere. Stop, he said, and go thy way, Leave. First, be reconciled to thy brother. Then come, offer thy gift. And he's saying, right now, you want to go on with God? Remember, you've got a brother that's got something against you, or you've got something against a brother. Forget about your gift. Leave it there at the altar, and then go and get reconciled. And as for the matter of a person who has to first change before I forgive him, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18, 21, 
Matthew 18, 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So Peter was asking the Lord about a person who does not change because he keeps doing the same thing. And how many times he has to forgive him for doing the same thing. And then Peter thinks to himself, well, seven is the number of completion. That's certainly got to be enough, you know? And so by saying, so when the Lord replied, 70 times seven, in other words, don't do the math. It's just without number. In other words, the Lord's saying, it's wrong to base our forgiveness on the prerequisite that the offender has to be apologetic and has to change, show remorse. The point of all this was that after Jacob forgave the same old Laban, then the angels of God met him. So these angels of God meet Jacob after this crisis is behind him, and he's got another crisis looming, as you saw. And can't we just picture the drama of this scene? I mean, there Jacob, he's sort of plodding along with his defenseless company, when all of a sudden he sees this bright army of angels, and we can imagine thinking to himself, reinforcements, <laughs> God's reinforcements. And um, these angels, I mean, he's in a troubled state of mind. The angels come, they're visible to him. You know, it reminds us of what happened to Paul in Acts 22.6, Acts 22.6, where Paul said, it came to pass that as I made my journey and came nigh to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I answered, Who art thou, Lord? He said unto me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. They that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. See, only Paul heard the voice. God decided that only Paul should hear the voice. We don't know, but there's nothing said about anyone else in Jacob's company seeing these angels other than Jacob. It appears that they were only visible to Jacob. It shows that God meets us and encourages us when we have a crisis in our lives. Seeing these, these angels for Jacob was a preparation because Jacob was going into a big trial. He needed God. And God had prepared Jacob with a great encouragement to pray to God by seeing these angels. That's a pattern. That's a pattern with God. Jacob did not know, but God knew what was going to happen to Jacob in this chapter, a great trial. And by seeing these angels, these angels of God, God prepared Jacob. We don't know, but God knows what's going to happen to us each day. But God has a time where he prepares us for the unknown trials of the day, and that time is the beginning of the day in our quiet time. That's when God prepares us for the trials that we don't know about that we're going to face during the day. Now, who's going to die today? Nobody knows. What's going to happen? What tragedies? Nobody knows. God knows. But God was interested in preparing Jacob, so he lets him see these angels, God's interested to prepare us for the trials that we don't know about. I mean, what do you think these angels did when they met Jacob? You think they nodded to him and said, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) These angels, they might have celebrated with Jacob. They might have said, you know what? You just had a triumph over Laban by forgiving Laban, not holding on to your anger and your bitterness. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. I mean, the angels did that after the Lord's victory 
over Satan in the wilderness when the angels came and ministered to him. It was a celebration. And seeing the angels reminded Jacob that, hey, my deliverance and my help comes from God. But for sure, God intended that for Jacob to see that God was protecting him for when he would meet Esau. And this is a union, as we mentioned before, this is a union of the visible and the invisible worlds. Jacob went on his way. That's visible. The angels of God met him. That was the invisible that became visible. And we've got a visible and an invisible world around us. Jacob going on his way shows Jacob's weak. Angels of God meeting him shows Jacob strong. These angels were perfectly on time just when he went on his way. The angels will be there for us, not a second too early, not a second too late, just when we need them. Now, does verse 1, chapter 32, does verse 1 say Jacob met the angels? It says the angels met him. It says the angels met Jacob. There's a big difference. There's a difference between Jacob met the angels and the angels met Jacob. If it said Jacob met the angels of God, it would imply that Jacob was purposefully looking for God's help. But when it says that the angels of God met Jacob, that means the angels of God came on purpose to meet Jacob. They met Jacob because they were sent by God to meet Jacob. It's just like our encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Jacob did not meet the angels, we did not meet the Lord Jesus Christ because we were purposefully looking for him. Just as the angels met Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ met us. Someone told us about the Lord Jesus, and we were encouraged to seek him. That's, that's what we're, we're seeing in this chapter. First, the angels of God meet Jacob. Then Jacob prays to God for help. God sends a, a squadron of angels to meet one lone man. Not a perfect man, but a man that, with God's hand on him. There's a wonderful picture for us here to see when it says the angels of God met Jacob. Jacob has just come out of a terrible experience in Syria. He's just come into Canaan, and what happens? The angels of God meet him. What for? Well, as we said, congratulate him, but also welcome him. Welcome to Canaan. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a picture of the Christian who ends his pilgrim life here on earth and comes home to heaven? And as he enters heaven, angels congratulate him on his victory over the wicked one, as it says in 1 John 2.14, I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Congratulations, they say. And then, welcome home, Jacob. Welcome to Canaan. Just like the angels of God came to Jacob and they say to him, welcome, you've come to the land of your fathers. You can almost hear the words of Hebrews 12.22. Hebrews 12, 22, but you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the no covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So he sees these angels, and he says with a surprise, ah, this is God's host. That's just like the time, you know, Jacob's always doing it. This is God's host. And that's like the time when he said, the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven in Genesis 28, 17. Genesis 28, 17 talks about Jacob. He was afraid. He said, how dreadful this place. This is none other but the house of God, Bethel, and this is the gate of heaven. That's why he called the name of the place Bethel. Bethel. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13.5 point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.